I'm about to make it harder. And oh, by the way, I'm going to chastise y'all with scorpions. First problem, King Rehoboam, do you not understand that the older men are put there for a reason? Thank God for the older people. Because chances are they've been there. And they've done that. He listens to the younger people that he grew up with. How many times do we consult with people that we think is going to give us the answer that we want to hear? Folks go to the pastor and pastor, I'm looking to make a decision. Pastor says, well, go ahead and, you know, go this route. Then go call up a friend afterwards. Hey, I'm looking for some guidance. Need some help. And the friend tells you what you want to hear. You were just looking for confirmation in the first place. You already had a preconceived idea of what you wanted to do. It was just sad because you, what the pastor said, you weren't willing to accept that because it didn't agree with what you already wanted to do. So you got to go to somebody else that you know will give you the answer you want to hear. And to me, that's dumb because it doesn't change the consequence. If pastor tells me okay and it's not, it still doesn't change the fact that I'm still going to suffer from making a wrong decision. So it doesn't help him to tell us what we want to hear. Amen? Oh, look, look, I know it's Resurrection Sunday. Doesn't change the truth, right? This is, in essence, what King Rehoboam did. He got wise counsel. And because he listened to his friends, the kingdom became divided. Here's Jeroboam coming to Israel. Now he's like, okay, I hear that they're divided. So he comes, and what do they do? They make him king. The only kingdom, the only part of uh, Rehoboam's kingdom was Judah in Jerusalem, right? So Jeroboam becomes king of the rest of them. Now Jeroboam has this great idea that, hey, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and erect these idols because if I don't do something to keep their attention, they're going to go back to Judah and they're going to pledge to Rehoboam. They're gonna, they're, that's where their attention is going to go to. So I'm going to go ahead and erect these idols. So he builds these temples or these altars. One is in Dan and one is in Bethel, I believe, right? And he tells them, these are the gods, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Well, the scripture tells us in chapter 13, there was a man of God. Now get this now, a man of God, he's from Judah. He comes down to prophesy against the altars. God sent them there. He goes up, because you know they've been sacrificing and burning incense to this idol. He goes up and he prophesies against the altar. And King Jeroboam reaches out his hand toward the man of God, and his hand dries up. He asks the man of God to pray. God restores his hand. Now, he does all this. The king invited him back and said, hey, come eat. Come drink with me. Come rest. He says, nope. 
God already instructed me. Now, here it is. Same principle. Remember in the garden, right? God said, right? So here's the man of God. It didn't even tell his name. It could be a lot of reasons for that, but it lets us know he knew what God said. He said, God told me I'm not supposed to go back with you. I'm not supposed to stay here. I'm supposed to return back from where I came. So he knew what God said, right? He does all that phenomenal, powerful. He's on his way back, and he goes to sit on under an oak, oak tree. There's two other guys who went back and told their dad what happened. Their dad, I guess, was a prophet. Now, I don't know if he was a true prophet. I'm going to say that. I'm saying that for a reason. You know the story. He goes up. He finds, he find, you know, he identifies where the man of God went, which way he went. He goes and he finds him and he says, hey, hey, man, come back and uh, eat with me. You know, drink with me. Come sit in fellowship with me. What does the man of God say? Nope, I'm not supposed to go back. God told me not to go back. Once again, he knows what God told him. And oh, by the way, there's nothing in the scripture that indicates that God came and told him anything different. Usually when God gives you a word, he's not going to go back on it. I say usually for all the carnal minds that might be listening to the tape. I have not identified a time where God has gone back on his word. So if he tells us something, he intends for that to happen. Oh, a long, uh, uh, about a few years ago, I heard somebody mention to me, said, yeah, you know, God convicted me of such and such, you know, but I was, you know, didn't he, I was released from it. Who released you? Well, look what happened with the man of God in chapter 13. You can read it on your own time. But he responds to, to, the, to the prophet. The prophet says, well, listen, I'm a prophet. Does it say what kind of prophet he was? Think about it, because now in, in Jeroboam, excuse me, there in Bethel and under Jeroboam's rule, Guess what he was doing with the temple? He was raising up his own priests. He was appointing them. They weren't even from the tribe of Levi. He was appointing them himself. The scripture tells us whoever it was that wanted to be a a priest, that's who he was raising up. get your apostles license and, and, and uh, certificate online. Fifty nine ninety nine, and you can have your own certificate. You are licensed to be a prophet. Forget the power that's going to actually do the work. You are licensed to be a prophet. We teach you how to say the right words. We teach you how to shake their head just right. When you shake them crazy, they're going to think something happening that's not happening. They're going to walk away thinking they healed, and they don't realize they just got brain damage. We're going to
teach you the right tools so that you can be a minister. You want to be a pastor? Go online. Distance learning. Then you can raise up your own church. Now, we're laughing, but this is what's happening in our society today. It's no wonder why all these doctrines, these crazy doctrines that ain't biblical, is raising up. So now, while it sounds funny, because, you know, when I heard it, I was like, this is some mess. The sad part about it is there are people who are being deceived because they are listening to these people who say they are called Watch what you listen to. I'm a prophet. And guess what? The angel came and told me by the word of the Lord that you can come back. Now, we've already heard it before. There's no time in Scripture where the angel's word overrides God's word. The last angel that tried to override God's word, he got kicked out with all the third of heaven with him. And today he's still lying, deceiving, tricking, misleading. That's what we're seeing today. The Bible tells us that that's his, that's his intent anyway, right? What does the man of God do? He goes back with the prophet. And the scripture tells us right then and there when he told him that, he said he lied to him. So if he was a prophet of God at any given time, at this point we know he was not in tune with the will of God. Brings him back. They're eating. told you, and then you're thinking everything's okay, and say, ha, 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 God is so good, yeah, I told that king, man, you, you know, you don't get rid of these altars, this is what's going to happen, and, and then look what happened, you know, his hand dried up, man, you should have seen it, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, during the meal, this prophet who lied to the man of God starts prophesying the fate of the man of God, he says, you're not going to return to your sepulchre, because you didn't listen to word that I gave you. Wow. Wouldn't that be trippy? Man, you told me you heard from an angel. Now you're going to prophesy against me? Not me. It's God. You're the man of God. Don't you think if God told you to come here and he gave you a word, he gave you a message, he's using you, he's talking to you directly... Don't you think he would have told you if there was an update? Frago, you can go back with the prophet. No. So what happens? The man of God, he's on his way back. And he meets a lion. What a way to go. What a way to go. You're a man of God. It's important. No matter how far we get in the things of God, it is important to remember that we are not above God.
That's number one. Number two, it's important to remember the words of God. If God has spoken it, you hold on to every word of it. Because the moment you let go, that might be the time when you're about to go. Man got torn by the lion. People passed by, they saw the carcass. And here's what's phenomenal about this story. It says that the lion was standing there next to the carcass. So was the donkey. The lion tore the flesh of the prophet but did not eat him. Nor did he mess with the donkey. They're both standing together. And you know that ain't nature. God. God means what he says. We just have to be open to what he's saying. We have to listen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Just as we need faith to see spiritually, we need God's spirit in order to spiritually hear the voice of God. My sheep, they do what? They hear they know my voice. Guess what they're going to do? Remember we talked, I think it was maybe last year around this time, we was talking about the shepherd. We talked about how the shepherd, when he speaks, the sheep will only respond to the voice of their shepherd. I don't care if you let another flock. When you, ooh, that's powerful right there. When you let, if you let another flock, that's all right. When you come over here in this area, I don't care what shepherd you are, they don't know your voice. They know their shepherd. Now, I know the shepherd we're talking about is Jesus Christ. But under the tutelage of Jesus Christ, he raises up men, powerful men and women of God, to perform minister to his people. So just like Moses said, you're not, if you reject the word of God, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting him. Amen? All right, let's talk about this. So, we're going to change this up a little bit. Because I gotta, I gotta bring some of this stuff out that I think is important. Experience of information. So we talk about the impact of information. <clears throat> we talk about experiencing the information, right? The impact that information has on us. The moment we receive information, we engage our brains and our minds to determine the impact that that information has, or the value of that information. So this is also known as the cognitive process. Okay. When you receive information, we talked about the senses. When you receive information through those senses, there is a connection made. There are signals sent to your brain. And it's sent to your brain to translate that information and determine its validity or determine its value. And determine whether or not it's something that becomes a part of you, a part of your belief system, so on and so forth. So these determinations are made in the mind, right? 
I'm just going to bring out three things that I believe happens. I'm not a scientist. There's a lot of information out there, a lot of theories, so on and so forth. You can, you can study extensively to find out how the brain works. And oh, by the way, all the scientists are making so much effort to try to figure that out, and they still cannot come to a conclusion. They still can't narrow it down. That's how complex we are. But God understands it all. It's really awesome, though, to think about it when all this stuff is happening and you're receiving information. So as I'm speaking right now, you're hearing the words. You're seeing how animated I might be up here, whatever the case may be, and I might just be doing a juggling act and everything else to try to keep you awake. But you're receiving information. Man, he don't stay still, does he? He just keep walking back and forth. This is information. Man, he gets loud sometimes, but then sometimes we got to turn up the mic because he's a little quiet. This is information. So that's an example, right? So you're receiving this information, and it goes to your brain. Okay, so one type of learning is what we call experiential or experience by experience, right? To learn by experience is to process information based upon how the event makes us feel. So here it is. You take a toddler... And you tell a toddler, don't touch the stove because it's hot. Guess what? In that little toddler's brain, now he's received the information you said. The problem is he's, he cannot connect with the impact of what hot means. So he's heard your words. But it's not connecting. As he's processing, that little brain, that little mind, as it's turning, it's, it's trying to process. I hear what you're saying. I, I know you're giving me instruction, but... So then, guess what? I've got to experience this to figure out if hot is good or bad. Y'all with me? So I go to touch it. As the toddler. And it didn't make me feel good. That was painful. Whoa, what an experience. Never had this experience before. Now I understand what hot means. So the next time you tell me don't touch that, don't go near that, because it's hot, I'm not going to go near it. And if I've seen steam or anything else, you know, hot water, steam, steam, whatever the case may be, now I'm going. Now I'm beginning to connect it because I had an experience with it. Okay. So that would be an example of the experience. The toddler's comprehension of the term "hot" is not fully developed until there is a personal experience. Once the toddler experiences the effects of the hot element, the process is complete, and the information is recorded in the memory bank. Whenever the toddler hears or recognizes something as hot, he or she will automatically associate that event with the previous experience and the emotional results from it. Now, this is just me, so don't look in the science book because it ain't necessarily in there. There are some people along the same lines, but this is just my understanding of it. Associative learning 
is when we take new information and conduct a comparison, either by experience or just by pure knowledge. So here's the deal. Let me put this disclaimer out there now. You don't have to experience everything to find out or to identify that it's not good for you. I wanted to make sure I inject that in there because I, you know, I see wheels turning. We in here, we are mature enough to know that. You talking to a bunch of young people, they might interpret this differently. That's why we got folks out there dating now because that's the concept. Go experience. You're doing experiment with something that God already designed. Guess what? You can't perfect anything better than what God already designed. Did you know that? If God designed it, it's already perfect. It's just a matter of whether or not we do it his way or we do it our way. But dating is one of those examples where we go in and we experiment. We have the knowledge to know that you can contract diseases. You can get into all kinds of situations. You're taking a risk in dating, right? You don't know what you're getting most of the time. And today is worse. You think you're going home with a lady. Right? So here's your experiment going bad. But then what happens? Because of that experience, what takes place? Now I had a bad experience in a relationship. And why does everybody blame love? That's a whole nother topic, though. But because I had that bad experience, or as a lady, as a woman, I had a bad experience with a man, so all men are just crazy and evil. This is what happens. And women become bitter. I can do I can do this on my own. I don't need no man. Now to the point where you got women trying to be a man to satisfy a woman. You don't like men, but you want to. Does that make sense? But to the world it does. That's why we can't, as Christians, we can't say, well, I accept that. No, I don't. That's confusion. Okay with it, you know. Everybody has their. I'm not okay with it. That don't mean I don't love the sinner. See, this stuff doesn't make sense to the world. How can you say you love me but you don't accept me the way that I am? No, I accept you the way God created you to be. They don't understand that because the enemy has their minds blinded. So it happens when you're walking in darkness. With that associative learning, you're taking information, and it's just data. Sometimes there's no experience with the data that you have. Thank God for those folks that can say, I've never done drugs. I've never drank alcohol. That's a blessing. Everybody's testimony doesn't have to be, I was drunk and I was almost, you know, about to kill myself. But thank God he saved me. Well, that's great. That's a great testimony. But it's even better when you can say, thank God, even as a young person, and now I'm old, but God kept me from all those things. That's awesome. Jesus didn't have to drink alcohol to figure out that it's bad to be drunk. 
Jesus didn't have to smoke crack cocaine and everything else. Jesus didn't have to sleep around and fornicate and everything else to find, you know, to teach against it, to say it's bad. So guess what? You don't either. I don't have to go to prison to say that, you know what? It's not a good thing to be in prison. Amen? can still minister to folks. You know, the only difference between you and the person that's in prison is their state of mind. You realize that? It goes back to what we're talking about, though. Experiences usually put people in the places that they are. I'm going to tie it in in a minute. But that data, just having that data, So even though I don't experience it, just having that information to say, you know what? That stove is hot. I don't have to learn the hard way. I can take that and say, you know what? Yeah, that stove must be hot. Mama said it was hot. If that's the only understanding that I have, just connecting it to the fact that somebody that loves me, somebody that cares, actually said something that was for my good. I'm just going to take it as that. I can take that. It's the same for Jesus Christ. When Jesus tells us something, he's telling us for our good. We don't have to go and and kick against the brick. The way of the transgressor is what's hard. But he says, take my yoke upon upon you and learn of me, right? If you listen to what the instructions I'm giving you, You learn of me, he says, for my yoke is and my burdens. Why? He bore it all for us. A lot of things we should be going through and we should be dealing with, we don't face half of that because he already paid the price. That's why we celebrate the day we celebrate today, acknowledging the fact that he went through all of that so that we could live. Not just exist, but live with hope. Amen? Something to look forward to. So, here's here's what's interesting to me. Associative learnings, when we take new information and conduct a comparison, the comparison can be based upon data that we have received academically or instructionally with no real uh, experience or experiential connection to the information or data that we share personal connection or experience with. This reveals our level of familiarity with this new piece of information. Academic information can be stored in two ways. When storing information in our short-term memory, we may retain it. Now, this is, this is something I, I forget the reference. Normally, I put it in there. We may retain it between 20 seconds and a minute. That's what they say, a short-term memory. That's how long it lasts. 20 seconds to a minute. That's not a lot of time. Guess what? If somebody tells you something two minutes ago and you forgot it within five minutes, it's not a mental disorder. Amen? It just meant that that was in your short-term memory. 
and only lasted for a minute. Long-term memory, however, we may return it, retain it for much longer. This is based upon how much we rehearse what we learn. So here's the key. I hear it. If I don't rehearse it, chances are I will lose it. Think about it. Here's, here's the interesting thing about Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's does not mean that you have lost your memories. I got a bunch of blank stares, let me, so let me finish it. It means that there is a disconnect from your memories. The signals that go through the brain, however, all that, the neuroscience, all that, there's a disconnect, and so you don't recall. Okay? Everybody with me? Putting things in perspective, right? Because most of us, we just chalk it up and say, oh, they just lost their memory. No, it's still there. It was just a disconnect. And unfortunately, the brain is one of those muscles, one of those organs that no matter how smart scientists get, and they're trying to come up with ways to help, but there's only but so much you can do when you're meddling in the business of God. Science is a good thing. Y'all know that, right? We'll talk about that next week. But science is a good thing. I'll explain why. I'm not going to get into it now. But God, even in science, God only allows them to get for so long. Chances are, because he's trying to remind us that there are certain things that just belong to him. I love it. Putting things in perspective. So that's your associative learning. Okay? Associating or trying to figure out the information that you're familiar, uh, your your level of familiarity with that information that you receive. And then there's the assumptive learning, which is when we take new information and determine it to be incompatible with what we have learned and experienced. Therefore, the most common response is to make an assumption about the information. I don't know, other than the fact that it's probably human nature, I can't understand why there's so many assumptions that are made in our society today. I'm going to assume that you know, okay, let's, let's, let's talk marriage for a second. That's all right got my arm on. But in relationships, and they talk about this in counseling, part of the issue that arises that causes conflict in relationships is because people are making assumptions. You're supposed to know what I'm thinking and how I'm feeling without me telling you. Can I take it a little bit further? Well, we're going to go ahead anyway. I get offended by something that you do, my brother and my sister. But I leave it to you to assume 
I'm going to make an assumption that you know that you offended me. And, I, and by that assumption, I'm going to assume that you're assuming that I know that you didn't mean it. You make one assumption, you got to make more. Because assumptions are just exceptions to the rule. So, instead of, or let's just say, I'm the offender, and I offend you, I'm going to assume you knew I didn't mean it, though. Oh, I knew that something happened, but I'm going to assume that you know I didn't mean it. I stepped on your toe, sister. We brothers and sisters, it's okay. No big deal. Sister, I, I bumped your car. It's all right. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. So I'm assuming that you know that I didn't mean it. If I go through that much, if I take that much energy to make that assumption, can I ask you how hard is it just to go up and say, hey, sister, I know I bumped your car. I know I stepped on your church shoe. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Just a quick, sometimes, you know, you on, you on your way out and you just, oh, I'm so sorry, sister. I'm sorry, brother. Well, that's their problem, but. <laughs> Remember now, repentance is a reflection of my heart. I don't get held accountable for your forgiveness. Amen. But just by putting that out there, guess what I have done? I probably repaired a relationship that was potentially damaged. That's something simple. But there are things that happen on a broader scale. Much more significant. And it don't get, it, it, things don't get resolved because... Assumptions are made. Relationships are damaged because assumptions are made. Nine times out of ten. What do we talk about? Ineffective communication, right? We're going to talk about that too. But communication. I'm not communicating with you if I'm assuming that you know. You ever give somebody a task and say, go do this? In the military, you know, you give your soldiers a task, right? As a leader, we can assume that because you've been through training, basic training, and your skill training, that you have a knowledge. Let me give you an example. So I was, I was just transferred over from the Marine Corps to the Army, and my first job in the Army, I did not go to any Army schools. My introduction to the Army was, here's your orders, drive from your location where you were stationed at in the Marine Corps, and drive to your Army installation and report. I have no clue about the Army procedures. I'm looking, so I finally get to the base. Well, I couldn't find the base. I had no clue, and it was night. It was like 4 o'clock in the morning. 
I finally pull up in a gas station, I see somebody in uniform, and I finally find my way. But I get to the base, and I've got these orders, and I'm like, hey, do you know where? I'm used to the orders that tell you exactly what unit you're going to. But my set of orders didn't tell me. I'm like, hey, do you know where this unit is? I figure the people at the gate, they'll know. They didn't know. I was so desperate, I went through Burger King trying to ask the workers at Burger King, do you know where this unit is? Figured you on base. It was a new concept for me, right? So then I finally get to the barracks. Oh, somebody's on duty. Let me ask them, hey, do you know what this unit is? Nobody. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention I didn't have any uniforms either. I'm in civilian clothes. I think back on the night, they probably was like, man, I don't know if I want to tell you. You sitting there running around on base in civilian clothes. I don't know who you are. These could be fabricated orders. You a terrorist? I finally get linked up with my unit. And in the Marine Corps, an E-6 is a staff sergeant. That's what we call them. We don't say sergeant because you're a staff NCO. So we call them staff sergeants. So I see a staff sergeant. I see the rock, the rocker on the bottom. I said, oh, he's a staff sergeant. So every time he asks me a question, yes, staff sergeant. Yes, staff sergeant. Roger, staff sergeant. Now, being in the Army for a while, that gets old. But in the Marine Corps, that's what we were taught. So it wasn't an issue. That was normal. That was, it, that was what we accepted. But in the Army, I can see how it gets old after a while. Now, being, you know, being a staff sergeant, I'm like, man, you keep calling me staff sergeant, staff sergeant, staff sergeant. I was adamant about making sure because I didn't want to disrespect him until he told me that the regulation stated that I didn't have to call him staff sergeant. The man is a sergeant until they get to sergeant first class, or excuse me, sergeant first class is sergeant. They still refer to him as a start, uh, sergeant. All up till you get to first sergeant. So I was like, okay. I still call him master sergeant. I still can't get past that one. So I got to. But it was a new concept. Got my new job, and guess what? I get there, and it's time for me to do my, or, you know, do awards. You know, that's, that was, I was HR, so, you know, they bring in the awards, and they pile them on my desk, and. You know, I got this stack of awards to do, and I'm like, man. And they're giving me all these tasks. Now, I transferred over. I was able to stay at the same rank that I was. I was an E4 at the time. So I'm coming in the unit as a specialist. So every day, why aren't these awards? Man, you slow. Why aren't these awards getting done? Yada, yada, yada. You know, and, and they're laughing, laughing it up, having a good time. And, of course, I'm like, I'm feeling depressed because I'm like, man, I must be an idiot. But then I would ask my boss for direction. She didn't have time to answer because she was on the phone or whatever else she was doing. Come to find out, because I can't tell you the whole story because I ain't got time. But come to find out, after the dust settles, two years I think it was, <laughs> I was somewhere else in the honor guard at that time. But they made an assumption that I knew what I was supposed to do. 
they made an assumption that I had already worked in that field or in that in the S1 before, so I knew how to process awards. I knew how they were supposed to look. And I didn't even know what regulations to look into. I didn't even know what they could do. Now, if it would have been the Marine Corps, oh, I knew my Marine Corps orders. I knew NAVMAX, all that. I knew what stuff I needed to do in the admin world for the Marine Corps, but I had no clue for the Army. But because of that assumption, I was actually placed in a different job because they thought I was just slacking. So to this day, a disconnect was made in the office relationship because they made an assumption about where I was. What's my point? Folks will walk away from the things of God, from the will of God, over an assumption that is made. Something as simple as an assumption. And guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, we have conformity. Assumptions are not the best way to learn. Throughout history, they assumed that the earth was flat until it was proven that it was round. Somebody made an assumption. So now what they call it a theory. So they can be safe. <clears throat> anyway, let's not make assumptions. Let's try to avoid that. You know, some sometimes it can be a safe assumption. But ultimately in life, we gotta make sure that we overcome that. Stop assuming that people know stuff. Share it. Communication. Remember that? Remember personal communication? Man, I got to stop this thing. God bless you. We're going to go ahead and break and come back for our dynamic service and, and worship and acknowledge the fact that Jesus lives. Amen? God bless you.